What can you learn from someone who has bought more than 18 online businesses? Hi, I'm Jared Krause, host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast, and today I'm speaking with Dave Rodenbohr, who is the owner of Recapture.io, which is an abandoned cart SMS and email marketing service for WooCommerce, Shopify, BigCommerce, Magneto, and a bunch of other great online business or e-commerce business platforms. Now, Recapture has processed over 2 billion in gross merchant volume and recovered over $200 million from stores worldwide. So Dave started his entrepreneurial journey back in 2011, having built a business directory and classified plugins from scratch and selling them both in 2020. He's also the co-host of Rogue Startups podcast and the WP Minute e-commerce show. And he's also bought a bunch of online businesses, which started his career in online business. And he truly loves email marketing, beer, uh, lifestyle businesses and family. And in this podcast episode, Dave and I, such a delightful chat because Dave and I talk about how he got started buying websites and why he decided to start buying websites over starting an online business from scratch. And we talk about how many websites he's bought. We talk about what types of websites he bought. Dave also shares his biggest uh, win from buying one of his websites and what that was and, and how that actually happened and how you can implement that in your business that you buy as well. He also talks about what he learned in hindsight about buying sites and, and the advice he would share to others who are first-time buyers in terms of due diligence and questions and all those sorts of things that you should be asking a seller and how to build relationships with seller and, and why that's a critical part of the journey of buying a site as well. And Dave and I specifically talk about some mindset stuff about you know starting a business and buying a business and who is the right person to start a business and then who is the right person to buy one and knowing who you are and what bucket you sit in is really going to help you understand what journey you should take and how successful you can become and how long that journey may actually take. We do dive into how long it actually can take to replace your income as well when you're you know, either buying sites or just wanting to make money online. And we also talk about due diligence quite heavily, as you could imagine, how to know what are the right questions you should be asking sellers uh, when buying a site and how to really build that relationship and become an attractive buyer when buying sites. So you can be the person who wins the business in a sea of competition. We also lastly talk about Dave's last purchase and how he scaled that SaaS business and how it helps e-commerce owners increase sales by up to eight to 10% and oftentimes even more. So this is such a valuable podcast episode. You guys are absolutely going to love it. I really enjoyed it and I know that you're going to enjoy it too. Let's dive in. Do you want to build or grow your content website? Niche website builders have helped hundreds of people to take their content websites from a few hundred dollars per month to over tens of thousands of dollars per month with crafted content creation, buying age domains and link building strategies. These strategies have helped people increase their traffic authority, monthly earnings, and their website valuation too. Head to nichewebsite.builders forward slash B-O-B forward slash to get 10% off any link building or 10% more from their content creation services. That's nichewebsite.builders forward slash Bob forward slash. I'll put a link in the description too.
Dave, welcome to the Buying Online Businesses podcast. Thank you for having me here, Jared. I'm very excited. Uh, buying and selling businesses is something I am very excited to talk about. I've been doing it for a long time and yeah, it's it's one of my favorite subjects. So this is awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about that. It's going to be the main theme of the podcast, but we'll talk about what you what you are doing with recapture.io as well. You you let me know that you know over the past 11 years you've bought and sold a fair few websites. So I want to ask how did you even get into buying websites or discover it because 11 years ago it wasn't a big thing you know Hmm. i started buying sites around that time as well and it was like not too many people knew it existed or nobody was especially like myself nobody there was nobody teaching it what got you into this i'm very curious about that so around 2010 that was kind of when i started this whole journey i ended up joining this group called the micropreneur academy which is now like the microconf SaaS world run by rob walling and xander castro and some others and when i joined this group you know they kind of split into two sides and then one of us was very small and the other one was like much larger the larger group were the people that were like trying to build their own thing and they had some kind of itch they were looking to scratch and they were dying to turn it into a business so they were all talking about how they were building their thing like that on the other side i was looking for basically i was looking for a way to exit freelancing so i had been a freelancer at that point for i don't know 10 15 years and i kind of saw the writing on the wall you know as you get older in the tech world it's sort of like well are you really going to be able to command these freelancing rates into your 50s and 60s the answer is uh, spoiler alert the answer is no Hmm. at some point you become less and less hireable because there are just more desirable younger sexy tech folks that are cheaper than you so just have a lot more energy and can get work done a lot quicker because you don't have yeah I yeah totally i mean there's just a lot of lot of things that are competing in there they don't have families necessarily you yeah. probably are married and have a family at that point and other concerns and okay so i looked at that and i was like all right i need a long-term plan here because i'm not just going to be like waking up one day and be like all right i'm out of freelancing and i'm gonna start a business now like it just doesn't mm. work like that mm. so that's when I joined this community so that I could learn how to start that business and sort of find my exit ramp. And I figured, you know, it it might be two to five years. It might be a little bit longer, but I gave myself enough time to sort of figure that out. And when I was looking at, you know, those two kinds of groups that were in this community, I was like, I don't really have an itch to scratch, but there was a, there was a few guys, Rob Walling in particular that were, buying and selling stuff. And they were using Flippa, occasionally eBay, um, and some other sites out there uh, that, you know, some of them are defunct at this point. But those those sites, like it kind of excited me because as a tech guy, I didn't have a lot of marketing skills. I didn't have a lot of sales experience. I didn't really have, I mean, I had some operational business experience from running my own freelance consultancy, but it was a consultancy of one. So I mean, you know, it's not, it's not very operationally intensive, right? So (laughs) I, I wanted to get some additional experience doing that. And I thought buying a website might be a really great way to get that experience. So I sat down with my wife and we had this conversation and I said, all right, this is what I'm looking to do. Here's why I want to do it. And, you know, I wanted to spend a reasonable amount of money to get something. But at the same time, you know, we didn't have a ton of extra money to throw in away. I had a very young family at that point. Uh, You know, I think my youngest daughter was two. No, she was one. And my middle daughter was two and a half. 
and my youngest was like five. So, you know, I mean, yeah. small, small uh, girls and, you know, decent Young sized family. family. I'm like, I have to yeah. pay attention to this, right? Yeah. So um, I, I basically, we came up on an, an agreed upon sum of like $2,000. So then I took that $2,000 and I went out and I just started searching and I searched and I searched and I searched. And I, you know, from discussions I had with Rob, he kind of gave me an idea of like, what are you looking for in a business? What are some of the red flags that you're going to find? And, you know, when you're having conversations, what are the good questions to ask and how do you mm-hmm. vet this business and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. So I ended up finding a business and it was actually something that I could afford. It was like $1,100 or something like that. <laughs> now, when I tell you what this business is, it is absolutely embarrassing. It still exists today. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea what their revenue is, but it's called Cronless. Cronless.com is the name of the site or is the address of the site. And it basically was online cron jobs. And I was like kind of excited mostly What's because- cron? Cron. So uh, Cron, it's a tech thing. So like if you're on a machine, it's basically like a fancy computer timer. So you can set it, set the timer. And then at the, when the timer goes off, it'll run something for you. Right. But that it only happens on your local machine. So this Cronless thing was, you could basically set it up and then have it go run a task across the internet, like hitting a website on Mm. a specific URL and do something when that timer went off. So I thought, okay, I understand this business. Okay, I'll try to figure out a way to grow this business. So I bought the thing. And then I found out that like, you know, they told me it was making a hundred dollars a month. And when I actually got into the business and looked at it, it was <laughs> not really making a hundred dollars a month. There were like yeah. tons of fraudulent accounts in this thing. And so I had to yeah. I had to clean yeah. house on this app and and just wipe the slate clean and kind of start from scratch. But once I did that, once I, you know, figured that all out, I made a lot of changes to improve the operational aspects of the site and I improved the marketing site and I can put in a pricing page and all of these things. It's kind of funny because the website is not hugely changed from when I made these operational changes back in 2011. So if yeah. you go to cronless.com, you'll see roughly what this looked like, uh, you know, 11 years ago. And in doing so, I actually was able to make it make a hundred dollars a month. Um, and you know, then I let it run for a few months and then I listed it back up for sale. Cause I realized this is not going to be like the business that takes me to the, the end of my freelance career. A month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I had learned a ton from it. So that kind of got me hooked. Like mm. after that, you know, I, I sold it and I, you know, had my, my same $2,000 again. And I was like really excited to go out and try to find something else at this time. Um, so that was kind of how I got started on the whole thing. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to continue the journey um, shortly, but I want to touch on something that you mentioned like this. is, And I think this is very, very important, but, and, and I need to ask a question of you first before I go in, into my explanation. Sure. But when you say, um, you were in this group and you didn't quite have the itch uh, and where all these other people that wanted to have a startup had the itch. Um, are you saying they had an itch about a product or service that they wanted to create that they're really passionate about? Is that what you mean? Yeah. So like, yeah. I'll give you an example. So uh, Ruben Gomez was also in the group at the same time that I was. And Ruben Gomez run, uh, has run a number of businesses. Uh, one of them is called BidSketch, which does proposals for designers. He does another one called DocSketch. And now he's doing SignWell. So he's doing online signatures. But anyway, BidSketch was his very first one. And he was super passionate 
about building bid sketch at that time. Like he was a designer. He had this problem of proposals and generating them for clients and then managing the whole process. Like that was his thing. Like he really wanted to make that happen. And there was another guy, uh, he was doing um, stuff in WordPress and he ended up doing like coming soon pages in WordPress, which Mm -hmm. was kind of a hole in the, in the technology at the time. So these guys like had found something and were digging into it. And I kind of came into this like, hey, I want a business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know I what to build. I think yeah. that's absolutely critical for people that are on the journey to make money online. And this is my my message and for everybody listening, I think this is very, very important they they tune into this, is that there's one there's there's two different types of people. There's one that should start an online business and there's one that should, I believe, should buy an online business. If your goal is to just make money online so you can replace your income, have more time with your your family and and do the things that you want to do uh, because you've replaced your income, I think it's why would you not go away and just buy an online business because it's already set up? You don't have to go through the startup phase. But then yeah. if you, and also 90% of startups fail. So if you are really do have an itch and you're really passionate about something, they're the only people that I believe should start an online business because the 90% failure rate, when you're super passionate about something, that's going to, that's going to, help aid push you past that 90% failure rate of a startup. And you're usually, if you're passionate about something, you're going to do it for more than you know five years. You're going to do it for probably 10 or more years. And then I, that's my belief. And that's my philosophy that if somebody wants to make money online, why don't buy something that's already making money rather than go down something that's really, really hard to do? <laughs> yeah. What do you think exactly. about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you totally nailed it. So you, you, you basically just expressed the thing that I discovered after like the first 12 to 15 months of doing this right here is that the process of buying a business hugely de-risks what you are trying to get into. Like you you basically are, Yeah. yeah, you get, you get a product that's already been validated against an audience that is currently already buying it. So you have customers, product, and a market like those things that you have to generate all of that if you're building this thing from scratch. And that's not an insignificant amount of work. And you, you know the reason that 90% of them fail is because there isn't product market fit or you can't find the audience or you can't reach the audience or they don't want to pay for your product. Like all yeah. of these things, these forces conspire against you. So if you can start with a product that already has some traction, that to me is a huge advantage. Yeah, I think I think where people get muddled in it is that there's a main message out there. If you want to make money online, you need to start your own online business. That that's a toxic message to I would say a big majority of the people that want to make money online and replace their income. Uh, and I also think that people have a goal, but they forget that the to get to that goal, there's so many different vehicles, so many different strategies. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if you want to get to like, say, from Australia to London, you could catch a flight. It might cost you a lot more money, right, to go business class to London, but you could get there cheaper by catching a bus or taking a long boat. (laughs) Um, A very long boat. How much much of your life are you going to waste, right? Right. Um, and yeah. that's what I think is like people will have a goal, but they'll, they can try to do it the cheap way because they don't have much money. And I understand that, you know, my message is like work out how you can earn a bit more money, stay in your job, job, don't quite try and quit it too early and set yourself up for success so you can achieve these things a bit faster. Um, but that's, that's, I just wanted to touch on that because I really, I really identified that 
that's the process that you you kind of had and I don't think people understand that enough um, and if we can have that conversation here and, and save some people some some trouble would be great <laughs> yes yes I hope it really does like you 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 have to begin with the end in mind, right? So we're going for the Stephen Covey approach. You, mm. you you absolutely have to know what is it that I want to have as an end goal on this. And so, and the end goal that you can have like little end goals in between. You don't have to have like, all right, in 10 years, I'm going to do this. And that's the only goal I've got. Like that you're setting yourself up for failure if you don't yeah. have something that's a little more attainable in the short term. And so having that in mind is going to make a huge difference in both your mindset, your success rate, and your ability to execute on it, right? If mm. it's so big and so far out, you're never gonna you're never gonna get there. Yeah. And coming back to the due diligence on this one that you did, I made mistakes on my first site as well. <laughs> I bought it, and there was a bunch of like um, it was like a, a directory sort of thing. There's a bunch of businesses listed that were just non-existent anymore. I didn't know that I should be checking checking that sort of stuff. Same with you and the financials. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're like, okay, it's easy to see some you know, fake accounts uh, or you, easy to see a lot of accounts but you don't know to identify if some of them are fake because you may not even know that that's a thing, right? Right. Um, so let's go through some more of your sites that you okay. purchased and then let's look, let's look, break into some of the things that you learned, like the experiences you had through due diligence and, and what some of your um, the things where you, you learned looking back in hindsight. So yeah, sure. what were some of those, what were some of the next sort of businesses and, and why did you go down those business models? Well, I, at this point, after I kind of got hooked onto the whole idea of buying, then the next step was, well, what business model out there kind of suited me best? So mm. I tried a lot of different stuff. Uh, you know, I did an affiliate site. I did uh, some AdWords, AdSense stuff. Um, I did, uh, it's hard to classify this one, but it's uh, basically I was selling WordPress plugins. It's not totally recurring revenue at the time. It was more like one-off revenue. Ultimately, okay. my goal was something for SaaS with recurring revenue because that was the holy grail. But I, I felt like I still didn't quite have all of the pieces put into place. Like I didn't have the confidence that I could go after a SaaS site, buy something that was good and evaluate it well and be able to run it well. Like I still had a lot of things to learn. I was still kind of um, green on marketing and sales and customer support. So I, I felt like I needed a little bit of a proving ground there to, to figure mm. that out first. Mm. So, uh, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of dabbled in a couple of things. So I tried that affiliate site first uh, for somebody else that I was basically repping their course. And, you know, the site was very inexpensive. It was like 600 bucks. I'm like, oh, sure, I'll try this out. Uh, and it turned out that the guy that sold it to me had actually just basically bought like 30 different versions of the same domain and kept reselling it, you know, the same site under a different domain. So oh, it got a no. duplicate content penalty. Yeah. It was basically crap. And so that was $600 wasted. But I learned something, right? I learned, yeah. hey, this is something you got to check. This is a question you should ask. And, you know, maybe these uh, content affiliate sites aren't necessarily the strongest Thing. If you're trying to learn marketing, maybe you want something a little easier than that. Something that has some customers built in instead of trying to convince customers cold. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then I looked at a couple of uh, AdSense sites and those were actually um, easier, but uh, you know, I only had a certain amount of money to spend on them. So I couldn't get anything really big at the time. Mm -hmm. So I saw that as a potential play, uh, but, and this was before Panda and Penguin, the, the big first algorithm changes that, that Google did back in like 2012, 2013, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. slapped everybody. Right. So, it, yeah. 
yeah. And so I was kind of hanging on to those little ones. I'm like, Ooh, this is cool. I'm getting like a hundred dollar check a month. I like that. Um, but the one that kind of really, really stuck was the, the WordPress plugin. So I actually bought this from a woman who she was a freelancer and she was building WordPress themes and she had kind of accidentally created this, uh, classified plugin for WordPress. And I say accidentally because she obviously created it with a purpose intent in mind here, but mm. you know, she, I think she did it for one of her freelance clients and the freelance clients of course loved it. And then she just sort of threw up a site ad hoc as a, Oh, let's just sell this thing. But she wasn't really serious about selling it. Like, you know, she was handling customer support in the comments of all the posts of the pages. Oh, wow. Wow. And, you know, if you wanted to buy the plugin, you had to basically PayPal her money. And then she would turn around and email you a zip file with whatever the thing is that you bought. Oh. So it was a completely manual process. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, oh, this place is ripe for, you know, making it better. Optimize and I also it. saw that that she had like a bunch of these different modules, uh, I called them later, but you know, they're basically just different add-ons to the same plugin. So there's the plugin that was free in wordpress.org. And then she sold all these add-ons. I was like, I could bundle those all together and have one price and get a better sales package here. Something that would be more interesting to sell the customers and make mm. more money at it. So those were things that just were totally lacking. So I, you know, she had listed this thing up for sale on Flippa again, of course, because that was the main site at the time, right? It was the only one really. It was the only one worth paying attention to at the time. Everything yeah. else was either garbage or um, scammy. Yeah. I mean, one of the two, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, I, you know, I went through and, and with my experience that I had already had on these other two sites, you know, I went and asked her lots of questions back and forth. I did some revenue proof uh, so she could actually show me like monthly PayPal statements for the past few uh, months. And they was making like $300 a month. And I was like, all right, that looks fairly legit. Um, and, you know, she was asking a very low price for it because this was a huge burden of work for her. All mm. that, you know, she's constantly going through and trying to answer all these posts all the time and do this manual sales process. Thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just sort of like, oh, I've got some <laughs> solutions here for you. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I paid like $1,300, $1,400 for it when I bought it from her and was making $300 a month. So it was actually undervalued for what, what it could do at the time. But I don't think she really realized where it was at to her. It was just a burden. She wanted to get rid of it. So that one was good. Uh, and once I got a hold of it, you know, all those things that I just told you about were broken. I fixed. So back then I didn't do like email based customer support. I just did it all in a forum. And then there was mm -hmm. also a contact form. So people could email me more formally and get that. I did the bundling and I put in a shopping cart so that people could handle this stuff automatically. I wasn't like dealing with manual sending emails and stuff like that. So as soon as I could put all that stuff in place, it basically went from about $300 a month to about $3,000 a month awesome. uh, in about a 12, 14 month period. So oh, congratulations. Yeah. I mean, that, that was like the first real win I had that made me feel like, wow, this can really do something here. I was very mm. excited about that. I, that's congratulations. That's absolutely awesome. I actually bought a business that was uh, doing a manual process in like the tailor-made garment space mm -hmm. uh, and changed like I, I bought it and then spent a bunch of money on developing a tool that people could, you know, design their own thing and it could be all automated. Just say I could remove, you know, it made the business more money, but what it actually did is it saved the business a lot of money. So, in fact, it allowed it to become more profitable. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, uh, obviously the same with yours. 
if you look back, the manual work saved you time and also money, um, you know, uh, uh, so made the business more profitable too. So that's, right. that's awesome. How many, how, many, how many sites do you reckon you've bought roughly? Well, so I, I, I went and did this count for a talk that I gave last year. And I think when I um, added them all up, all said and done, I think it was like 18, 18 or 22, depending on how you wanted to count it. Because some of them I bought as like a package and sold them as a package. So was that one or is that five? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was like between 18 and 22 is the the number. And currently I only own the one. I only own Recapture. So all the rest of them are all gone or defunct. Some of them, you know, didn't pan out at all so yeah. there is that too well congratulations i think I, we should probably highlight that 10 11 years ago a decade ago uh the sites you could get better multiples for the sites you could buy something for you know under five thousand dollars and still get a decent deal uh now right. it's very different with the amount of people that are finding out that you can buy an online business so uh, I think we should just touch on that because some people go, well, if, you know, you know, if Dave went and bought something for $1,100, uh, you know, and I can too. Yeah. Then yeah, I can too. Yeah. It was a, that was a decade ago. That was a very different time, you know, very these days on micro acquire or some other similar kind of marketplace, you're not going to find a business of equal, um, potential, I guess is the best way to put it for yeah. that kind of price. You know, a lot of the times. What I'm what I'm seeing is that a lot of people overvalue their businesses at the lowest levels. They basically have like, oh well, you know, I put in you know this many hours worth of coding and it's making a hundred dollars a month, and they're like, eh, it's worth seven thousand dollars. You're like, mm, <laughs> no, it's not worth seven thousand dollars. I realize you put seven thousand dollars into it, but it is not worth seven thousand dollars. It's usually worth what it's making times a certain multiple, depending on the history. You know, that's a fan, standard kind of way to to evaluate businesses and SDE if you're below like a million dollars or something like that. But yeah, the, the valuations get really weird at the low end and at the high end, both. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So for example, people that are looking at something that's sub $10,000, well, I recommend people to not buy anything under the $10,000 range if they want to buy something that's already making money because anything I see at the moment under the $10,000 range usually is a startup. And then it's people that have put a lot of their time into it, like you said, and trying to sell their sell their time that they've mm -hmm. already worked on it, sell their sweat equity. Yeah. But when you're buying a business, you, you shouldn't be buying a business based on how much time somebody's put into it. You should be buying it based on how much it's making and how much time it costs to run the business. <laughs> right. It's a very and in fact, picture, right? and like we said before, remember, um, the whole point of buying a business is to de-risk it. Correct. At least that's my philosophy of it. Maybe that's not everybody's philosophy, but if you're buying something, the whole point is to de-risk parts of it. Maybe not all of it, but some of it, right? When you buy something that doesn't have customers, isn't making any revenue, and just has a product, you've de-risked nothing. You maybe mm -hmm. have given yourself a head start in a product, but you don't know anybody's going to buy it. You don't even know if it's that good. Like you still have two fundamental hard problems to solve. Where do I find the audience and how do I reach them? Like those are way harder than building a product. So yeah, I mean, I, I see those things that get listed up there and I just kind of shake my head and I'm like, yeah, nah, I wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, what's getting popular now is people wanting to buy businesses to um, quickly do like a flip and grow the business and they want to do some um, quick wins or some easy wins and add in opportunities to have the business make more money. But they may only last 
uh, a certain period of time until another update may come or something in the online landscape changes and they don't understand that and this is what the way I like to grow businesses is that the how when you put in a de-risking strategy it actually increases the value of the business and by default allows the business to earn more money but with less risk which allows you to when you want to sell it sell it for a higher multiple because the business yeah. has less risk and that's what people are buying businesses for so there's a funny thing going on where people are like i want to buy something and see how much opportunity it's got to to buy the business and i just think it's it's silly to buy something based on opportunity alone <laughs> right right yeah you really you need to understand what that opportunity really is before you dive into it. You just can't blindly yeah. say, hey, I'm going to ride on the opportunity here because I, I remember we used to say back in the day that you, you can't sell potential because potential is different for every single person out there. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, you'll never be able to recognize that potential because you might have, like you could say, oh, there's all this potential to reach this particular audience. And maybe you've got some secret way to reach that audience. You have a list of 27,000 email addresses stashed away, but you're not selling that as part of the deal. Like, okay, that's potential. Yes. But A, you didn't use it. And B, it's not coming with the sale. So it's worthless. And that potential doesn't mean anything to me because I don't have access to that list, right? Spot on. And that's and, and sometimes people even do that. It's like even if you do get the email list and it's got ten thousand emails on it, people go, "Cool, it's a massive opportunity." They've got ten thousand emails, but hang on, when did they subscribe? Was it five years ago? How many of those email subscribers are actually active on the list and opening and consuming the content? That like it's there's so much in due diligence. And so I want to ask you now, like, what are some of the things that you learned either the hard way doing due diligence or some of the things that you learned looking back now in hindsight through through buying sites? Oh gosh, a lot of things, Jared. <laughs> a lot of things. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, one of them is uh, being able to ask the right questions to the seller. Um, you know, there's always some key things that you have to know about upfront. So you you really have to have a complete visibility into all the revenue sources. And you know, I don't usually like to look at anything less than a year. And a really good seller will open up their books and say, all right, here's the 12 months you asked for. Here's another 12 months prior to that. It just adds confidence to your transaction. And it, it tells you a lot about the seller. Like how open are they going to be? If you ask them a question, do they go above and beyond? Or do they just, you know, answer it to the letter and then, you know, shut you down? Like those sellers kind of, I wouldn't say it's a red flag, but they definitely present a, a yellow flag maybe where you, you're like, okay, are you hiding something or are you just kind mm -hmm. of a jerk? I, I don't know. I mean, I can't really tell. You know, the willingness to share information, the willingness to disclose, you know, warts about the business. You know, I would rather know about those warts during the due diligence. I am totally comfortable if you tell me, yeah, you know, we had this massive algorithm change and it totally hosed the business for the last three months over here. But now we've recovered and see there's some growth right here. Like, tell me about the wart and tell me how you fix the wart. Correct. Now I know something about the business, like, oh, it's kind of resilient. And I, I know that I can do these things to fix it later or something like that. But if you try to hide that stuff, it always comes out eventually. So, you know, finding a seller that is willing to have an open discussion with you is a, is a big deal. Like the best sales I made were the ones that were the most open sellers mm -hmm. because... I could literally go in and ask them anything. They told me everything. It gave me tons of confidence and I was totally willing to plunk down my cash. Yeah, I think that, that was a big one. That's a good hindsight is like people work with people based on the level of trust they have 
Mm-hmm. And how do you gain trust? Well, you first, you usually need to start a relationship. And a relationship via email or text just isn't the same as at least having one phone call with this with a seller and them seeing like, oh, this person actually asks good questions and they actually, mm-hmm. like they, they know what they're talking about, can make you become a far more attractive buyer and the seller has built a relationship with you when they probably didn't expect to do so. And, and then that connection there can really help you go along with the purchase. And I'm just going to put in a, a shameless plug here, Dave, because we're talking about due diligence and questions. Mm-hmm. If you guys listening don't have my due diligence framework, which has all the list of questions you should be asking people when you're doing due diligence, go away and get that. It's uh, on buyingonlinebusiness.com forward slash free resources. That's my due diligence framework. It's what I use and all my clients use. It's it's. It's helped us so much, Dave, in terms of saving money on bad deals yeah. and 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 buying great deals. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I haven't seen your specific list of questions, but having a solid list of good questions to ask was mm. something that took me quite a while to develop over the years. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know, I would literally write all these things down as sort of like the base questions. And so, if you're doing due diligence, like the diligence actually goes both ways, right? The yeah. seller is evaluating you as a buyer. Right. How serious yeah. are they? Are you know are they capable of running this business? Do I feel good about selling to this person? So they're asking questions too, right? Mm. And part of how you can be a good buyer is number one, know what questions to ask. Number two, read through the prospectus or the listing or whatever and see what questions already get answered and then figure out what additional questions to ask. Like, don't ask the obvious ones. How much money is this making? Well, if they put that in the listing, that's a dumb question, right? You don't want to ask the questions they've already answered. You want to be the smart buyer to, to ask the questions that they haven't asked or to dig deeper into that. Say, oh, I see your revenue fluctuates over in the summer here. Is that a seasonal effect or was there something else going on at the time? That's a, an example of a good question to ask. So, you know, you want to look at those things, have that list of questions and then figure out what applies. What are the biggest risks that I see in this business here? And, you know, help form that relationship because you do have a very limited amount of time, but the way you're going to get a good relationship started is to have that call with them. I, I like mm-hmm. video calls for um, you know buyer-seller discussion because it puts people at ease to be able to know that there's another human being there and you're not just like shooting emails back and forth. That's fine for onesie twosie stuff, but you know, the real good deals that I've done have been, you know, face-to-face kind of stuff. So that that's huge. Like being able to ask good questions, ask the right questions, you know, and having a list like Jared's here is going to make a huge difference in whether you're buying really crappy businesses or really good businesses. Yeah, that's right. Like, like you said, it took you a long time to work out what questions to ask. And it's taken me a long time to, you know, reiterate different questions. In fact, I was going through some of my old documents and stuff, just getting rid of a bunch of stuff, you know, throwing it out. And, stuff. and I came across a uh, an envelope that was, I was used to be a plumber, right? It was a plumber's union envelope. And on the back of that plumber's union envelope was my flipper questions that I would ask people. This is like, you know, back <laughs> almost a decade ago, just in writing in pen. So on one side, I've got my plumbing career. On the other side, I've got my online business career. I should post it online somewhere. It's 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 quite hilarious. And there was only like come to think of it, it as like looking at it, it was like only six or seven questions on it. And they were just now I look at those questions like they're they're pretty 
easy, outdated questions. I should have been better. <laughs> right. Uh, well, you live and learn, right? This is how oh, this yeah. is how we get better at this. You make mistakes. You're like, oh, I should have asked that. Add that to the list for next time. But you know that gets expensive to make all those mistakes. So having a, an existing list to start from makes a mm. huge difference. Yeah, for sure. Now I want to touch on recapture. Mm-hmm. io what you're doing with uh email i'll let you explain what it is you know abandoned cart sort of stuff but sure. i want to ask did you buy this business or did you create it out of a out of a itch and a purpose i did buy this uh cool. you know i'm still a firm believer of this so this was a, an established business it had been around for about 18 months and i bought it in 2016 uh the guys and, and i'll tell you what recapture is here in just a second i'll just give you this finish yeah. the story yeah, yeah. here but the two guys that I bought it from, they were brothers and they ran their own e-commerce store. They did custom carved uh, wood iPhone cases. So they had okay. like their own, you know, um, CO2 laser and they would put these blanks in there and carve out whatever thing you wanted on there. And then it was fit to your iPhone. So it was a very good business. It was very lucrative. They're making like six figures a month at the time. Right. So they built this solution because they didn't like the other um, email marketing, abandoned cart emails that were available for their e-commerce platform, which was Magento. So when I looked at this, I was like, oh, you know, I was really, I was salivating for multiple reasons. One, it was SaaS. It was my first real good SaaS business I could sink my teeth into. But second, it was on e-commerce. So this particular uh, business was something that was very clear in the return on investment that you could display. So I had a report that could show you, I am making you this much money. So you're mm. so close to the money that it just made the sales and the marketing that much easier because you could just basically say, look, you pay me this, I'm giving you back 20 X this much, you know, they That's know what a, the ROI their investment will be. Yeah. Right, right. It it's becomes very predictable and it becomes yeah. very, you know, uh, who who doesn't want to buy something that is making them money, right? That was an obvious <laughs> thing. So anyway, um, Recapture is basically an abandoned cart and email marketing and SMS solution for a variety of e-commerce platforms. So this was one of the things that I was able to expand. Uh, originally, it was on Magento. Then we moved it to Shopify, to WooCommerce. It's on BigCommerce now some other smaller WordPress solutions. But, um, you know, this is, it, it's a, this is definitely like, I don't want to call it a forever business, mm-hmm. but it's definitely my long-term, hey, I can, you know, you know, live my life now, support my family, have a staff, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was the ultimate goal of what I started in 2011, basically. Great. Congratulations. That's, I'm so thrilled for you. So if we go back, I think we should think about this. If we go back, so 2011, what is it? It's, it's 2022, 11 years, and you've got a business that is making decent income. You support your family. You can hire staff, and you're going to be in it, and it's a lifestyle business. Guys, people that are listening need to understand, like, you've bought 18 websites. Sure, there was a, b- a bunch of smaller ones and, you know, fiddly stuff. I tell people to buy, you know, spend a bit more and, and can reduce the time frame, but still, I mean, that's a that's over a decade. Um, or you bought you you know you bought this in 2016, so close to close to a decade, maybe under a decade to get to a point where you're like in a great position. How important is understanding that? Do you feel, Dave, knowing that you need to just invest some serious time? It's not like I'm going to put three years or one year into making money online and and achieve what all these other 
fake gurus say? Like, what's your take on that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I cannot under understate what I am about to uh, say enough. The average small business takes from three to five years to achieve sustainability. That's the average three to five mm. years. And that's, you know, you can be a little bit above average or below average. You know, for me here with Recapture, it was probably close to five from the time that I bought it to the time that I was able to go full time on it. So, you know, I'm right at the average right there. And, you know, there's a lot of other forces that kind of, you know, helped me move along probably a little quicker than I would have by myself. You have to be patient with this stuff. I mean, the the stories that you hear of people that are overnight successes, what you don't hear is that they were grinding away five to 10 years prior to that. And then suddenly that overnight success happened. It's because they put the time in. There's um, a friend of mine, uh, Justin and Jason from the TechZing podcast, they like to talk about luck surface area. And I think that this is probably like one of the best things that you can do is you have to cultivate as much luck surface area as you possibly can so that when an opportunity strikes, it's within your big luck surface area. If you have a little tiny luck surface area and these opportunities are zinging along, it's not going to hit your area right here, right? It's like mm -hmm. if you're trying to shoot uh, BB BB gun at a very tiny target. If I have a very large piece of paper, it's very easy to hit that target with these tiny little BBs. It, it's yeah. the same kind of thing. You have to find ways to, to get out there so that those opportunities collide with you. And it can be a, in a variety of ways, whether it's working in the business, learning different skills that you don't have, like sales and marketing, or maybe you're not a tech person and you need to learn development. Like that's a different skill set too. You can learn going to conferences, doing networking, hanging out with smarter people than you are, or talking to people who've already bought these businesses and try to figure those things out. That was the, that was the big learning that took me kind of years to figure out. And when I finally got enough money up to buy recapture, I realized that for that to be successful, you know, I really had to expand that luck surface area out as much as I possibly can. In fact, that's what my goal and job is as a CEO today is to keep pushing all those boundaries and all those fronts. So more people are aware of the product, more people want to work for mm. me on the product, more people are buying the product, just all of those things. That's so juicy. So luck surface area. I also learned something um, from Roger Hamilton in a book called Your Life, Your Legacy. And he talks about luck as well. And I think this really lends, what I'm about to say is going to lend to the luck surface area and maybe a framework on how to increase your luck surface area. How he explains luck, Dave, is um, it stands for, you know, it's an acronym, L um, location, understanding, connection, and knowledge. And if, you, if you're in, you know, the right places and you understand what's, you know, the niche, you understand the opportunities and you have the connections to facilitate those opportunities and the knowledge to take action on those, mm -hmm. you, you can increase your lux. I believe you can increase your lux service area. And I think that's just, I'm so glad you mentioned that because for me, that's like, as I listen to you explain lux service area, I'm like, wow, like I can just now combine these two, mm -hmm. two learnings and these two frameworks to, to increase that. That's thank you personally yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I mean, you just, um, Roger's framework puts that whole, uh, thing together in a, in a neat acronym, but it's the mm. same thing. And I think 
luck is an underappreciated attribute of being an entrepreneur. And people just think, oh, well, you just get lucky just out of the blue. It's like, no, you don't. You, you get lucky because you put yourself out there. You get lucky because you understand where to be at the right time. You get lucky because you've talked to the right people and you know that something's coming because you're in that connected loop right there. And you mm. get lucky because you learned about what it is that's going on in this space to know this is the stuff I should pay attention to. This is the stuff I can ignore. All of that generates luck for you. And, and that's where people get those boosts in their business. Every single successful business that I've ever worked on, uh, that any of my friends have worked on in my masterminds, all of them have had specific lucky events, but those lucky events were the result of putting in a lot of time and effort beforehand to be at that right place at that right time. So yes, there is a, there is a grind aspect to that, that I think everybody likes to ignore on the luck. And that's the part I think we should emphasize here. Yeah, for sure. Because luck it's, I think it's got this weird, how people understand luck or majority of the world understand luck and understands luck may actually be in a broken, in a broken way that doesn't help or is not helpful <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or yeah, can hinder. Um, Dave, I want to I want to ask you about recapture.io. So, with recapture.io, what's the you know say I have an e-commerce business and I'm like, all right, I am making say two thousand dollars a month, um, and we want to increase um, sales from abandoned carts. You know, I know you guys do email and SMS texting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Is there a, like a calculation that that allows you to work out what roughly you know a, an e-commerce business may get back from abandoned cart sales? Is that something that you were alluding, alluding to before? Yes, actually. So, uh, you know, a- over the past six years, I've discovered that stores at a particular level, and by particular level, like I mean you you are selling something that customers want. You already have some existing sales and you kind of have a marketing machine that's going and doing something, whether that's, you know, word of mouth stuff, organic traffic coming in. You Maybe you're running paid ads on Facebook or TikTok or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. You've got some kind of machine that's already running to some level. It doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't necessarily have to be at the highest level. But if you have that, on average, recapture can get you back between eight and 12%. Now I've seen stores go much, much higher than that. Like I I've had stores, there was a, a guy that sells aquarium supplies and his abandoned cart recovery rate was up to 36%. So wow. like he really That's had crazy. it dialed in and he had some, you know, some little secrets about what things were being put, put into the cart and how to approach those. So, you know, he'd have a very segmented campaign that says, all right, if they have this product, I'm going to talk to him about this concern and I'm going to hit him like four times in a row and boom, those things just tracked like nobody's business. But yeah, I mean, on average, you know, about 10% depends on the vertical kind of depends on your store, but 10% across all verticals, all niches that are out there. And that's just for abandoned carts. And then you can add other kinds of emails later. So you could do like post-purchase upsells, or you could also do things like winbacks. So maybe you've got a product, uh, maybe you're selling t-shirts and you have a new release of a t-shirt every quarter or a new release of a batch of things seasonally. You can send a winback email and say, hey, come back and do this thing over here. We have this new sale. Uh, you know, We also do promotional emails. And then of course you mentioned the texting part as well. But you know, all of those things together can just basically boost the bottom line of your store at, you know, at a bare minimum if you have the marketing machine going about 10%. Adding other stuff will boost it even further than that. And it's all 
it's kind of free money. Um, because if you don't have these things in place and you're just asking people to come back and buy, they were already going to be customers. You're just nudging them off the fence, right? You're, you're just using they're very uh, hot leads, right? They're very, very hot leads. And so you're yeah. just using like psychological persuasion techniques to get them to come into your store and finish up the sale there or come back. Like if you have existing customers, they're usually five to six times more likely to um, buy than brand new customers. So those existing customers are really good. You want to keep them, uh, you want to keep them happy. And that's why a win back email is so successful. So the, the kinds of emails that recapture is sending are the ones that are designed to basically boost your average order value and your customer lifetime value in the store as much as possible. Cause these are the two levers that really move the profitability of your store up to a new level. So, you know, people are getting started in email marketing or people that like do in-house email marketing. We are really good at that. You know, it's, it's an easy to use tool. It's something that doesn't require a, a dedicated staff or an expensive agency. And, you know, we're not going to be so priced out that you, you can't afford us. That's the kind of the store that really benefits from recapture. We love it. We, I absolutely love it. I think that's great. Congratulations. Um, so where, what's the link? Where can we send people to check out recapture and, and more about what you're doing? Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter at Dave Rodenbaugh, and that'll probably be in the, the show notes here. I'll send you the social link for that. Yep. Uh, but you can also check out recapture at recapture.io. R-E-C-A-P-T-U-R-E. Awesome. Dave. Everybody, thank you. Thank you um, for that. There'll be links in the show notes. Check them out, guys. But Dave, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really enjoyed this chat personally. So thank you. It's great. Well, thank you for having me, Jared. It was always, uh, it's always a great time to sort of go down memory lane and revisit all of those uh, buying and selling there. And if there's you know something that I can do to help new buyers that are out there or buyers that are struggling to find that site, you know, I love doing that because that, you know, that's part of my desire to give back is to make sure that the, those who are earlier in the journey can benefit and, you know, reach down and, and help pull up other people so that they can be successful too. Wow. Awesome. Thank you. Well, we may, you may have just roped yourself into another, another episode in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to come back, please. That'd be yes. great. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much, Dave. Everybody that is listening. Thank you for listening. If you're looking at buying a website, do yourself a favor and listen to this again and actually take notes, not just physical notes, but mental notes, because there's so many little intricate things that Dave and I mentioned about buying sites that is going to aid in your success. And if you know anybody else that is thinking about, hey, I want to make some money online, our Dave and our, my discussion around the startup versus buying a site and the mindset around that and who sh- who's better for each one of those is it's such a valuable message for people to hear that do want to make money online. So please do them a massive favor and share this podcast episode with them. Of course, it's great for us. We help to grow the podcast and get more listeners and aid in helping more people. But it'll be great to at least uh, the people that you know that want to make money online understand that message. So thanks again, guys, and we'll speak to you soon.